0: Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland.
1: I'm Lori Gum.
0: And these are the Q Files. Maybe you've noticed, but if not, we've had a few episodes that have touched on Atlantis, Pascal Beverly Randolph, occultist, ghosts in Antarctica, and even the 10 deadly plagues plated. While admittedly unintentional, we thought it could be fun to talk about some some, because there are many, of the stories about Atlantis. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato is who we draw all of our knowledge on Atlantis from, and Atlantis is one of his most enduring stories. His writings are full of lasting truths about the human condition, and that is how he is most commonly discussed. But Atlantis captures our imaginations as a great myth. Lurking on the edges of mystery and possibility. After all, we do routinely find the remains of ancient, lost civilizations.
1: Plato told the story of Atlantis around 360 BC. The founders of Atlantis, he said, were half-God and half-human. They created a utopian civilization and became a great naval power. Their home was made up of concentric islands separated by wide moats and linked by a canal that penetrated to the center. The lush islands contained gold, silver, and other precious materials and supported an abundance of rare exotic wildlife. There was a great capital city on the central island. Plato said Atlantis existed about 9,000 years before his own time and that its story had been passed down by poets, priests, and others. But Plato's writings about Atlantis are the only known records of its existence. The limited writings have birthed many theories about where Atlantis was. I mean, you can basically pick a spot on the globe, and it's likely that someone at some point in time has said that Atlantis was there. Every part of the Mediterranean, Europe, Africa, all of the Americas, and even Antarctica. Basically anywhere but Asia and Australia. The only primary resources for Atlantis are Plato's dialogues, Timaeus and Critias. All other mentions of the island are based on them. The dialogues claim to quote Solon, who visited Egypt between 590 and 580 BC, and state that he translated Egyptian records of Atlantis. In Timaeus, Plato says,
0: For it is related in our records. How once upon a time your state stayed the course of a mighty host, which, starting from a distant point in the Atlantic Ocean, was insolently advancing to attack the whole of Europe and Asia to boot. For the ocean there was at that time navigable, for in front of the mouth which you Greeks call, as you say, the Pillars of Hercules, there lay an island which was larger than Libya and Asia together. And it was possible for the travelers of that time to cross from it to the other islands, and from the islands to the whole of the continent over against them, which encompasses that veritable ocean. For all that we have here, lying within the mouth of which we speak, is evidently a haven having a narrow entrance. But that yonder is a real ocean, and the land surrounding it, it may most rightly be called, in the fullest and truest sense, a continent. Now, in this island of Atlantis, there existed a confederation of kings, of great and marvelous power, which held sway over all the island, and over many other islands also, and parts of the continent. The basic gist of the two stories is that Atlantis was a great civilization, wealthy, equal, and just, that became corrupted. Eventually, they start a conflict with ancient Athens. And as a quick aside, ancient Athens was Plato's ideal state. And remember, this is all happening 9,000 years before Plato, which for us is like 11,000 years ago or something. So there's a war, a naval battle, an ancient Athens, because they're more perfect when Atlantis has fallen out of favor with the gods. And Plato says, But afterwards there occurred violent earthquakes and floods, and in a single day and night of misfortune all your warlike men in a body sank into the earth, and the island of Atlantis in like manner disappeared in the depths of the sea, for which reason the sea in those parts is impassable and impenetrable, because there is a shoal of mud in the way, and this was caused by the subsidence of the island.
1: Hmm, now where have we heard a story like that before? It seems to us that it's strikingly similar to the real Exodus story we discussed in the Ten Deadly Plagues Plated. In the last decade or so, some archaeologists have begun to believe the legend of Atlantis may have started on Crete. 5,000 years ago, the Minoans, Europe's first great civilization, flourished on the island of Crete. The sophisticated inhabitants, named after the legendary King Minos, were the first Europeans to use a written language known as Linear A, and the first to construct paved roads. They were an advanced society of highly cultivated artisans and extremely skilled civic engineers. The Minoans were excellent shipbuilders and sailors, and their maritime empire was so vast it rivaled that of the ancient Egyptians. But they were an enigmatic people, worshiping snake priestesses and engaging in human sacrifice with origins not linked to Europe as expected, but to ancient Iran, which may explain why they were so different from the Greeks, who rose to power after them. Such practices gave rise to Greek myths about the Minotaur, a half-man, half-bull that ate human flesh in his labyrinth. But inexplicably, at the height of their power, The Minoans were wiped from the pages of history.
0: The island of Santorini, 70 miles north of Crete, was home to the wealthy Minoan seaport of Akrotiri, a place where the wall paintings discovered portray their landscape with happy animals and farmers harvesting saffron. But the Minoans had built their prosperous city on one of the most dangerous islands on Earth, next to the volcano Thera. Around 1600 BC, Akrotiri was shaken by a violent earthquake. Sometime later, an eruption occurred. The Theron eruption was one of the largest in human history, blasting more than 10 million tons of ash, gas, and rock 25 miles into the atmosphere. Through excavations, archaeologists have found on Crete strange and chaotic layers of soil, broken pottery, building materials, and cattle bones. The soil also contains microorganisms that are normally found only on the ocean floor. Experts say that the only way they could have been deposited on land is by a powerful tsunami. The presence of the Theron pumice that could only have been washed ashore on Crete by powerful waves seems to indicate that the volcano caused the tsunami. And carbon dating of a cow bone found in the chaotic layer of sediment confirms that it was deposited there around 1600 BC, the same time that Thera erupted.
1: Archaeologists are only now beginning to understand what happened in the decades that followed. One of the most remarkable clues is a small statue that was found. It was discovered in an archaeological layer deposited a 100 years after the disaster. A statue made of ivory tusks, gold with a serpentine head, a prime example of one of the great masterpieces of Minoan art. And it had been vandalized, in a way suggesting ritualized violence against the Minoan culture. Additional signs of such deliberate destruction have been found in other places on the island. Some archaeologists believe answers may be in an unusual cemetery in Chania. The bodies have been dated to the period of widespread unrest in the Minoan world. Similar bodies have been found near Gnosis as well. The aggressors' weapons were not Minoan. They resembled those used by the ancient Greeks, perhaps Plato's ancient Athenians, The invaders from the Greek mainland slashed and burned their way across Crete, overwhelming the weakened Minoans. The tsunami not only left the Minoans ripe for an attack, it gave the Greeks an important military advantage, just as Plato described. 5,000 years after it hit, an epic natural disaster can be blamed for the Minoan and perhaps Atlantean collapse a wave that washed away an empire, is strikingly reminiscent of a mystical city that sank beneath the waves. And though we may never know for sure if Crete was Atlantis, we at least have an explanation for the downfall of Europe's first great civilization. So what about Antarctica? Could Atlantis be another
0: of her ghosts? Eh, Probably not. Sorry to disappoint, and we'll talk a bit about the Antarctic-Atlantis theory. But this is really where things start to get tricky with these theories. More on that in a moment. The theory that Antarctica was Atlantis saw the height of its popularity in the 1960s and 70s. And I'm not sure anyone knows why, exactly, but I'd hazard a guess that it has to do with the books of the time, like Charity of the Gods by Eric Von Daniken in the fact that we're always fascinated with Antarctica and Atlantis stories. But there's also the Perry Rees map. It was discovered in 1929, but is dated from around 1513. The map is historically important because it shows the extent to which the New World had been explored at the time and is fairly accurate, all things considered. It includes a mythical island that is not Atlantis, but also a frost-free Antarctica. Wait, what? Antarctica free of ice? Described as having a warm climate? Yeah. And if you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that no Europeans
1: had seen Antarctica at that point in time, and wouldn't for over 300 years. This claim that the map depicts Antarctica is generally credited to Arlington H. Mallory, an engineer and amateur archaeologist who believed in the pre-Columbian trans-oceanic contact hypothesis. Scholars didn't generally receive his ideas well, even if now we do have some evidence of pre-Columbian contact. That said, his ideas were well received by people writing books in the 1960s, namely Charles Hapgood, who wrote Maps of the Ancient Sea Kings. Hapgood proposed a theory of global exploration by a pre-classical, undiscovered civilization based on his analysis of this and other ancient and late medieval maps. More importantly, Eric von Daniken adopted this theory in his book, Chariots of the Gods. Only he suggested that it was aliens. Hapgood also came up with the earth crustal displacement theory, which suggests that Earth's outer crust is able to move upon the upper mantle layer and that it can do this rapidly and cover large distances. When considering the movements of the crust in the past, that could place Atlantis in Antarctica. And get this. Albert Einstein wrote the preface for Hapgood's book on the subject, Earth's Shifting Crust. The theory is popular with hollow earthers, not to be accused with flat earthers. Whether Antarctica was a lost civilization of Atlantis or Atlantis was an alien civilization on Antarctica that floated south after the Earth's poles flipped, causing mass destruction to Atlantis, doesn't really matter because it's arguably the least likely scenario. Even if, in 2018, satellites were able to see literal lost continents under Antarctica. The real issue is that many of the hundreds or thousands of theories about Atlantis or Antarctica, being Atlantis, are pseudo-archaeology and are associated with rather mm, unsavory ideas.
0: Look, I have to admit, a secret techno-utopia hidden beneath Antarctica's ice would be pretty cool. Unfortunately, these theories go from, oh, that's neat to think about, to refugees escaping Atlantis brought technology to cultures around the world, and that aliens helped build Egyptian and Mayan pyramids, or European immigrants were the original inhabitants of North America. These beliefs may seem amusing and harmless, but they all, in some way or another, assume that ancient, non-European societies weren't capable of inventing sophisticated architecture, calendars, math, and sciences like astronomy on their own. A lot of it, maybe all of it, is racist at its core. A common trap in the weird paranormal and occult. And those seemingly innocuous ideas have real-world consequences. White settlers and 19th century archaeologists excavated elaborate pre-Columbian burial mounds and credited them to a lost mound-builder race that was killed by the ancestors of Native Americans. President Andrew Jackson used that idea to justify the displacement and genocide of
1: Native Americans. White nationalists make similar claims today. To argue for Europeans' deep roots in the Americas, they have latched onto Vinland, a short-lived medieval Viking settlement in eastern Canada, and the Salutrian Hypothesis, which argues that the Americas were first peopled by arrivals from Western Europe neither claim started as pseudo-archaeology, Vinland was real, and the Salutrian hypothesis was proposed by mainstream archaeologists, then tested and ruled out. But they have been twisted for ideological ends. A white supremacist accused of murdering two people on a train in Portland, Oregon in 2017 included the words, hail Vinland, in a Facebook post less than a month before the attack. Pseudo-archaeology is the fake news of history, and it spreads just as easily. Modern academic archaeology is hidden behind paywalls and obscure industry websites and forums. But you can watch Ancient Aliens on TV or Google any of these ideas and quickly find 17 different sources discussing the theory you searched. It was in
0: researching this episode that we realized we shouldn't help perpetuate these harmful theories of Atlantis like so many other folks and shows are willing to do. So while you can research them, and there are many, and there are several that are totally plausible in a historical way, actual history, the thing is, searching for Atlantis misses Plato's point. It's generally believed by scholars that no one thought Atlantis was real until it started showing up on maps over a thousand years later. Plato was telling us a story about human nature using Atlantis so that we could have a framework to see how perfect societies can still fail. There's a passage in Critias that talks about what the Atlanteans were like. For many generations, as long as the divine nature lasted in them, they were obedient to the laws and will affection towards the gods. They possessed true and in every way great spirits, uniting gentleness with wisdom in the various chances of life. But when the divine portion began to fade away, and became diluted too often and too much with the mortal admixture, and the human nature got the upper hand, they then being unable to bear their fortune, behaved unseemly, grew visibly debased.
1: The Atlanteans were made in the image of the gods, much like the Golden Age of Man, a proverbial perfect time in Greek history. It also ended with a flood, by the way. However, the Atlanteans were not idle and were intelligent. They prospered and lived well by respecting one another and others, protecting their environment and animals, and of course, venerating their gods. It was only when they lost their original divine nature that they failed, warping their beliefs and their fortunes to suit their own political agendas. Hmm. Craving power and lusting after what others have? Driven by greed desiring dominance of all around them, they attack the ancient Athenians. They succumb to their worst selves for more money, power, and glory and lost everything in the process. Plato's story of Atlantis is one of caution, a reminder that we are not perfect. We
0: aren't perfect, but Plato also gives us the Atlantean roadmap. He tells us what made them good. Virtue, kindness, care. The mystery of Atlantis isn't where it went. It's how can we get there? How can we learn from its mistakes and become it? The last decade has been hard and confusing. Everything is postmodern, overstimulating, and exhausting. We've seemingly lost our divinity and succumbed to our lesser natures. We're Atlantis prepared to attack ancient Athens, if we haven't already. We live in a time of grim prophecy, climate change global conflict, the stripping of rights, and the loss by some people to see the basic humanity
1: and equality in others. We're killing the planet and each other. Everyone seems angry and afraid, looking at their neighbor and questioning why they have what they have, wondering if they could get more if their neighbor had less. The rich are getting richer and the poor have never been poor. And while I doubt extraterrestrials are coming to save us with advanced technology, a tiny virus may well be our volcano. And if the oceans keep rising, we just might sink into the sea. An empire built of hubris in decline. If we're not careful, we'll be the Atlantis of another time. If there's anyone left to look for us.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend or tag us on social media and be sure to leave a review. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends,
1: be weird, stay curious.
0: These are the Q Files.